Welcome to Inside the Banjoverse, a podcast exploring the minds of folk music's great artists. If you like what you hear, please subscribe now and do leave us a review. It makes a big difference. This is Enda Scahill from Irish bluegrass crossover band We Banjo 3. Before you freak out, don't worry, there's actually four of us and mostly just one banjo. That's me. My guest on the podcast today is Lisa Canny, multi-instrumentalist, seven times All-Ireland champion on banjo and harp. She has travelled the world extensively with Celtic Crossroads and the Young Irelanders, highly educated she has a master's in ethnomusicology and now she lives in london where she is mixing traditional irish music with lots of different genres such as pop music and i do hope that you enjoy this highly energetic and entertaining conversation with lisa Canning. what you trying to prove there's so much to lose so we should go if you know let me know where we can go and find the truth but let me know, cause we can go find you too. Nothing you can do, you know, this day is gonna fall soon. Vision from the moon, tomorrow's something new for you. We should go, if you know, let me know. We can go and find the truth. So let me know, cause we can go and find you. Down by the river where I save my soul, my soul got caught. Lisa Canny, you're, I was reading your biog this morning on your website. and uh, Oh, God, that's very outdated, I'd say. Do you think? Jesus, isn't that? Born, yeah, I think it's funny, born, <laughs> born and bred in County Mayo. Ew. Some people would see that as a major disadvantage, <laughs> particularly people from Galway. It's like I wouldn't be putting up born and bred in like Mayo. Like yourself. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, we're all proud people from Mayo. You have to know that. And sure, look at who taught you? Who was your teacher? Uh, Bernie Garrity, originally and from you, from where? Mayo. I know. But very much. Yeah, you go. But that was on there the Galway border. So that's forgiven. It was. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. Actually, as I said it, I was going, oh, God, was Bernie actually from Galway? No, she wasn't. What, par- what, what part of Mayo? So Hollymount. Which is where? You don't know where Hollymount is in there. Uh, between, it's between Claremorris and Ballinrobe. So right smack in the middle. Galway, basically. <laughs> 20 minutes from any Galway border. <laughs> securely in the middle of Mayo. In the yeah. middle of Mayo. Well, I'm married to a, a Mayo woman. See, my wife is from Swinford. Oh, sure. Look at You chose and well. I did. Now, Swinford is a town that if you're in Swinford, it's in the middle of everywhere. But to Mm -hmm. get there, it's in the middle of nowhere. It's a weird Mm -hmm. topographical um, oddity. Mm, Much like most of Mayo and Galway now. Come on, we'll have to say the same. To be fair, to be Mm. fair. Um, To be fair. So, I mean, let's let's uh, let's just dig into the biog, the outdated biog a little bit or bio. Yeah, let's do it. What What I thought was fascinating about this. Right. So I know Lisa Canny for many years as an Irish banjo player and an Irish harpist. 
most recently mm-hmm. and anyone that and there are quite a lot of people who follow you on Instagram. It's not uh, born and bred in County Mayo and played the, the harp and the banjo in the wilds of the west of Ireland. This is it's really edgy uh, pop, I guess. I know genres apparently are not even a thing anymore in music, so who knows what it is. But thank God, uh, thank God, yeah. As as poppy as pop music gets, there's yeah. a, there's a journey there, and there I'm is. fascinated. That's what really, really <laughs> kind of caught my eye. I was like, how do we go from winning seven All Ireland titles on harp and banjo, which is as traditional as you can possibly get, to yes. hanging out with some serious musical dudes? Uh, publishing deals in LA and for mm-hmm. all intents and purposes pop music on the banjo so I mean where mm. do you want to start <laughs> I don't know I don't know myself um yeah it has been it has been quite the journey still on it very much still on it and still figuring it out still kind of finding the balance and negotiating where I where I stand and where I fit and what it is I want to do. So it's, I'm still very much in the middle of it all. Um, but yeah, since, since picking up a banjo at age five to, you know, mixing now Irish trad and gospel to make rebel pop songs, it has been quite the transition for sure, for sure. But yeah, as you said, grew up in trad, holy, no more than yourself and, and the lads, you know, just trad mad. Um, from a very early age and the FLA of course was a big part of our life my life and um, and trying to win the competitions is a big part of it as well very competitive in that way and um, loved it absolutely loved it but I think I was just I, I think the big difference with me is that I didn't come from a traditional family a traditional music family nobody in my family played I was the first of like any of my uh, first cousins or my aunties and uncles that played trad my grandparents played a little bit, apparently, um, and some great uh, or grand uncles and grand aunts. Um, but I, I never had Irish music in the house or in any kind of um, home capacity at all, which I grew to realize was quite unique. You know, I, when I met a lot more people in music or that was doing it, you know, as much as I was, they were coming from musical families and they were coming from a kind of a culture at home of playing tunes. And I mean, my parents wouldn't know the difference between a a slow air, I was going to say chicken reel, but a slow air and a reel, you know. So um, I think it was, that was the beginning of me having a slightly different um, experience of it all. And my, my being the youngest of three and my brother and sister being into, I mean, my sister was mad about like um, Cindy Lauper and Lisa Loeb and uh, No Doubt and, you know, this kind of like, cool early 90s pop rock type thing and then my brother was listening to Green Day and Smashing Pumpkins I'll give him that one um and that kind of thing and and dad is like all the time listening to Irish country Big Tom on the house all day long every day and then mom was like Neil Diamond and Mary Black so it was just like this mad culture of music around me and being the youngest I didn't get to choose what was being played most of the time either so I was listening to all of this and soaking up all of this and then going and playing my trad all week, you know, and, and going to, to Bernie Gertie and and playing trad music and getting involved in, in that kind of culture, too. So that was my outlet of music. But I was being, I suppose, subconsciously really inspired by everything else that I was hearing as well. And by the time that I got to, um, uh, I suppose, when I was like 16, 17, I started to kind of experiment writing tunes, just writing tunes um, and 
um, singing other songs other than Shanos, because Shanos was the first type of singing I learned. And then I started to kind of like, you know, sing some Spice Girls and sing some more pop stuff and, and nearly felt like, don't tell anyone I'm doing this, but <laughs> I'm also singing pop on the side, you know. Um, and where, did, like, where did that very first initial attraction to Irish music uh, come from? Mm. Well, I have a lot to uh, thank my primary school teachers uh, and particularly my primary school principal for, uh, I mean, probably for everything that I'm doing in music now, because he was a huge impetus for it and a huge reason why I'm doing music now, because he came in to listen to us playing. Did you have to play Tim Whistle in school? Yeah. 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 So like most Irish Irish kids, you all, we all learned I, uh, tunes on the whistle growing up. That was a part of the curriculum and a quarter past 11 every day. Mr. Sean Nestor, our principal, would come into baby <laughs> infants and listen to us playing our Dore Mies. We thought we were fantastic, of course. Um, and uh, he just thought that I was good. I obviously just, you know, showed more of an interest than the rest. And at five, I was in high infants. He came in one day and he just handed me a banjo he had at home. And he said, go, go take lessons in that. And when you're ready to get your own, we'll pass it on. And he did. He did that with loads of musicians and there's, you know, there's a wealth of musicians in Roundfort and Hollymount that came from that system. Um, and there's a good few of us doing it professionally as well. And he really started that all off. So that was the main reason I got into it. And then I think I come from, although they don't play music, the family are all very musical in that they all sing songs and every single family event would end up in a sing song on either side. And everyone had their two or three songs that they'd you know, put in a cycle, alternate between. And uh, from a very early age, I remember, you know, no more. I'm sure you were the same getting up and singing. That ocean, like at six years of age, you know, <laughs> not knowing really what I'm talking about, what the whole tradition was about, but just doing what I'm told and what kind of I enjoy doing, I suppose. Um, so that was that's where it started. And then I suppose Bernie Gertie and um, and the group Kjol and that whole scene on even under 12 was just so enjoyable. I loved I loved going to class. Uh, Bernie is an incredible teacher and she just suited me. She's just like, you know, there's no there's no uh, bells and whistles or frills about it. It's come in, do your work, learn the tunes. Good woman, go home, do the same next week, you know, and I enjoyed that discipline. I enjoyed that that kind of um, exchange, I suppose. And then when the group Kjol started uh, getting up and running and we were doing all of that fun stuff, I was just hooked from there on out. Was it always banjo? Was it was it an instant love or uh, was there other things you wished you played? Good question. Well, I know that I I started the harp when I was 10 and I asked Santa for it because I, 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 uh, <laughs> I, I knew that Santa would get it for me, you know. So I... Um, I know that I wanted to play harp for quite a while. And I think there's two reasons behind that. First of all, Bernie's daughter, Holly, played harp. And Holly was just, you know, someone that you looked up to and was just beautiful, gorgeous, talented young woman. And I just obviously was inspired by that. And also my mother's from Limerick and we would often go down to Limerick uh, at the weekends to visit all of the family. And uh, I don't know if you remember the old... Limerick Galway Road just as you're coming into Limerick there was a roundabout with a harp done out in flowers in the middle of it um there by the Radisson now or not the Radisson but there's a Tesco there I think on the left hand side anyway there was harp there was a harp done out in in flowers 
um, and we passed that. And I remember I used to ask at a very young age, what is that instrument? And then kind of connected the two with what Holly was doing and yeah, asked for a harp when I was 10. So I think I did want to play the harp. The banjo was kind of bestowed upon me, I suppose, and I grew to love it. But I felt like, um, yeah, the, the harp kind of called to me somehow. I think I think I probably wouldn't have chosen the banjo if it wasn't handed to me. Hmm. Were you a very curious child? I mean, that strikes me that, you know, you see what is that instrument made from flowers and mm. I want I want one. I suppose so. I think I was. Yeah, I think I was definitely curious about all things music because it was very much my identity from a very young age. It was, it was Lisa is the musician. Lisa does the music. Lisa still does the music. You know, this kind of thing um, was always expected to, uh, as I said, at, fa- at family events, kind of perform and uh, at school events, perform and do all the score and the nogs and anything to do with uh, music in the church, the local church. It was very early on. It was like my thing, the thing that made me me, not just in school and in the community, but in my family as well. So I think I was always curious about everything musical then. Mm. And and further on from that, I think it made me curious about other mm. things. Like I was mad into sport. Um, I was quite studious and none of the rest of my family are. And I kind of put that all down or back to the discipline that I learned from music and, and lessons and um, achievement with with rehearsing and, and with practice and putting in work. And I, I, I reaped the rewards. I very early on saw, OK, this you put the work in here, you get this. You do this, you get this, you know. So um, I think I was naturally curious and then it just fed that curiosity more and more. Hmm. You strike me as somebody that's very uh, high energy maybe uh, goal driven uh, <laughs> you know I see this a lot well maybe I, I find I find maybe there's almost two types of professional musicians there's ones that are very and I would be like this like are very goal driven um mm-hmm. are very competition oriented and what I mean mm-hmm. is that like, like just dying to win everything and get ahead yeah and then there's the what, what you almost say like the dreamers that are just like completely immersed in creativity and the two yeah. manage to coexist but they're very different <laughs> types of musicians where do you so fall so true oh you're you're spot on i am 100% on the former there as well um and for better and for worse cuz sometimes i find it hard to especially now that i'm i'm in a in a era of songwriting I'm trying to write at the moment as much as possible and sometimes I need to get out of my own way and I need to stop analyzing everything and thinking about where the song is going to sit or whether it's this radio friendly or whether it's going to do well here and you know and that that former person that person who wants to achieve and wants to hit that goal you set and everything sometimes gets in the way of that creative um, process so I would like to be able to exist kind of in the middle of the two. And I try to find ways that maybe push me more into that, you know, uh, whimsical, <laughs> creative side and not to be so focused on the goals. But that comes more natural. Definitely the the goal orientated, the um, driven side of me definitely comes more natural. Um, and I, and I've learned that 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 works for me, you know, um, so that's what I tend to do more so than the other one. Does that personality type bring a, a type of um, what will I say, almost like a suffering to it as well? 
in the over analysis, the drive to be the best, the drive to win. Uh, how do you feel Absolutely. about that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I have gone on my own development journey with that. Um, and to be more specific, I suppose I have uh, come up against, you know, self battles sometimes with the idea or the ideals of success and what that means and what it means for me. Um, and I sometimes have to kind of remind myself of all that I've achieved and that, you know, I'm still on the journey. And although I didn't hit this thing by this age or I didn't, you know, to buy the castle in Clarenbridge by the time I was 22, you know, that I have had immense success in other ways. And I and I do need to stop and, and remind myself of that sometimes because I can, you know, have, as you said, the burden of of success where you don't achieve something straight away. Um, you can start questioning yourself like, well, am I ever going to or what do I need to change to do that? Where that's obviously the complete wrong way to look at it and and I I've learned in the last few years to realign and readjust my reaction to not getting what I want um or not achieving what I want and uh and putting it down to lesson learned tick the box reshape re regain whatever we need to do you know um add in what you've just learned from that experience to what you're going to do next and and move on so yeah, I'm definitely burdened by it to a certain extent, but I try to turn it into something more positive that just keeps me going. Mm. That's that's very interesting. Yeah, because I'm looking at uh, again your bio, you know, first class <laughs> honors in, in in a degree, first class honors, uh, masters in ethnomusicology. Like it's very high level uh, all the way through <laughs> yeah. with huge amounts of success. And I do find that that people uh, like you, like me. That uh, mm-hmm. I, I uh, my my wife says this to me the, the entire time. You know, will you ever just stop for a moment <laughs> yeah. and look at what you've achieved before you're yeah. on to the next ten projects? You know. Yeah, yeah, and, and and I've heard that advice more times than I can remember, and I still don't practice it religiously. You know, people say, "Oh, you need to enjoy the process of the journey and all of this," and I'm going, I do, I do. I get defensive. I'm like, I, I do, I enjoy it, you know, but I want this and I want that. I definitely am in the same boat as you with that. Mom tells me you're, you're talking about, you know, <clears throat> always being kind of achieving, trying to achieve the highest. Mom likes to tell the story. I don't remember this, but of me practicing before going over to Bernie at age five or six, tears popping out of my eyes and blood coming from my thumb. Because I was, you know, plucking it all wrong, obviously, anyway, but just like tears and blood. And mom said she was just standing there with her hand on her head going, who is this child? None of us are telling her to do this. She's like, she would be like trying to take the banjo off me going, it's okay. It's okay. You don't know. And I'm like, get back today. It has to be right. You know, it has to be right. It has to be, it has to be perfect. And I have to get it. And so she's like, I don't know where you came from. I don't know where that drive came from. I don't know whether somebody said something to me once that stayed with me. I don't know whether I was trying to impress Sean Nestor. I don't know who I was trying to impress, whether it was someone else or whether it was just my own um, self-inflicted burden that I put on myself. I'm not sure where it came from, but I I, I seemed to keep that throughout my life and and always wanted to you know achieve the first class honors and um, in my degrees and wanted to get this and wanted to get this and always, always kind of set that goal. And, and that's been a, a, a bit of a beauty and the beast in a lot of ways, because 
growing up in growing up in school and in the FLA and you know in the touring world, those goals there's very it's very obvious how to do those, how to achieve those. So if it's the FLA, you need your good tune, <laughs> you need the right tune, <laughs> you need you know a few variations, not too many. You don't want to go too <laughs> too too overboard. You don't want to be too contemporary now, you know. And and there was like a formula, and you knew how to do it to achieve what you wanted. And then you just practiced, and that was it. And then with school, it was do this, do this and do this and then rehearse this and then, you know, uh, revise this and then you'll get this. And the same with college and with like, you know, my first dreams was to go touring in the States with one of those shows. And at 19, I got to I got to do that for the first time. And, and I knew how to do that. I knew how to get in contact with that kind of community and all that. But then when I went out on my own and started doing the pop, more pop thing and more commercial thing, there wasn't the same formula. There wasn't the same template, blueprint. And it was kind of like, off with you, go, give it a go, see how you get on, you know. And and that's been that's been really challenging for me that I've set these goals, but yet there isn't a clear way. It's kind of each everyone's out for their own and you just got to figure it out yourself how to do it. So that's been really challenging for me, um, having come from an upbringing where if you want if you want to get to B, you you know, you start here at A and you just work towards it. So I have struggled with that a little bit. Mm. But uh, I'm learning, I'm learning as I go. You're listening to Inside the Banjoverse in conversation with Lisa Canny. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. It it seems to me now, and I don't know very much about it, but as an observer, uh, an observer of that wider commercial industry, that mm-hmm. it's a very very steep pyramid. Um, and I'll say so. Coming from my point of view in the Irish market, which is a very well supported but a very small niche market, and so mm-hmm. if you put the work in, as you said yourself, there is a route to market and there's a route to the top. Uh, mm-hmm. When you get into the commercial world, suddenly you're stacked against, 
huge labels, vast amounts huge of money, money yeah. uh, you know, radio stations that are, you know, and everything that goes on in the background. And mm. then for somebody who's trying to trying to make it to somewhere where we'll discuss mm-hmm. where that might be, is it very, very difficult? Yeah, it just <clears throat> it just seems like the, the, the goalposts are just moved to, you know, extreme places where you have no idea how to get there. As you said, you're up against people. I remember when I moved over here to London first and I signed a management deal with a company called Music Crowns. They told me um, there's a girl called Freya Ridings. I don't know if you know her music. No. Um, what was her big song? I think I'm, I think I'm lost without you. Big song. It kind of blew up on Love Island and then. Um, she signed a big deal and she's been doing very well since. But she started out uh, in the same kind of scene as 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 me in the same venues and stuff. And um, just when I moved over, she had just kind of taken off um, or a year later. And they told me I, I knew the person that was working with her marketing team. And they, she told me that they were spending close to 80,000 a month on her marketing. And it was just this moment of like, well, what in the name of God <laughs> are, has anyone else's chance of competing mm. against that type of money? You know, like, of course, that's going to do well. If it's a good, good enough project product and you have that amount, amount of money, then of course it's going to do well. So it is much harder, I, I believe anyway, <clears throat> to to find a way to the top in, in something so commercial Um so, yeah. So I don't know, Inda, maybe you're going to make me realize that I'm wasting my time. <laughs> this, I'll be like, I give it up. I give it all up. I don't know what I'm doing. No, no, no it's been it's been it's been uh, it's been eye opening. It really has like to see the difference. And, and one thing I, I, I noticed as well is like I kind of had achieved as not everything I wanted to in Trad God, not by no means. You know, I still want to do so much. And I'll, I'll tell you about some of those plans as well. But. I, you know, my goal was to tour the States with it and to make money out of it. And then I did that at 19 up until I was about 25. And it was then that I was kind of like, OK, I kind of want to do something else now. I want to I want to move on to another challenge kind of type thing. So that's when I decided to do more of the pop thing and move to London and focus on that. But it wasn't until a couple of months in I was like, wow, I've just moved from somewhere close to like the top of the pile of the industry of trad, you know, and 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 making a profession out of it and making money out of it to go right down to the bottom of this whole, as you said, other pyramid. But this time this pyramid is a thousand times bigger and I'm right at the bottom again. So it was both like petrifying, it was so scary, but also like this huge, enormous like weight that lifted off me as well, where I was totally free to do whatever I wanted and to try out new things and to arrive at a gig and nobody know who I am and not expect me to play trad, which is another thing I was getting in, in Ireland, you know, to arrive and just start rapping with the harp and nobody, nobody raises an eyebrow. They're like, all right, that's what she does, you know? So it was very scary and still is, still is. And I still don't know. uh, I still don't know what I'm doing (laughs) most of the time. I still don't know what I'm doing. Uh, Like I can, I can, listen to an arrangement of a tune, you know, or on the harp or uh, or arrange something for a folk ensemble or even a group kyol. And I'll know if it's good or not. I'll know whether it's going to do well in the fla or I'll know, you know, what tune to give one of my students to get to the All-Ireland or whatever it is. I know how to do all that. I know how to judge it. And I'm confident that my my judgment on it is kind of uh, universally accepted 
Um, but then when it comes to commercial stuff or pop, I've no idea. I've like not no idea, but like in comparison, knowing one language so well, i.e. Irish traditional music and moving over to something that I haven't grown up in in the same way or hasn't been embodied in me in the same way. It's very show, it's very obvious how little I know in comparison, um, which, again, is petrifying and also uh, brilliant all at the same time. <laughs> How how are the folk instruments uh, kind of seen or accepted in that world? Ooh. It's a big, um, a, a, as a banjo player, right? And mm-hmm. who started out as a trad banjo player like you, and then, mm-hmm. you know, through journey ended up in a kind of a poppy bluegrass band to a certain extent. The challenge mm-hmm. of making an Irish banjo fit into the mix, and that's yeah. in a folk world. So take yeah. it right out of that. Is it yeah. a big challenge? It has been a big challenge for me in many ways. I remember when I moved over here to London first, I was arriving to sessions. My publisher was putting me into sessions, writing sessions. And I was arriving with my banjo, wanting to put banjo into it. And they're all going, um, no, no, just leave the banjo down. You know, <laughs> nobody knew what to do with it. Nobody trusted that it was going to turn out cool, you know. Um, and I think for a while I was like, oh, OK, all right. Yeah. And I, I didn't bother with it. And then. About a year or so into it, I was going, no, hang on. This is exactly what makes me unique. So maybe those guys don't understand it yet or those those producers or whatever it is. But I feel now not obliged. I feel like it's kind of part of my, what's the word? I feel like I owe it to me and to my upbringing and to my love for trad and my love for Irish music and my belief that it is, it should be universally seen as, as beautiful as we see it, you know, and, and it should be able to be mixed into more commercial type sounds and not be seen as kitsch or uncool or make it, you know, polarize it from somebody else. I think there's a way of doing it um, that can, that can coexist with trends and with, you know, the more, quote unquote, cool stuff that's happening. So I feel now like it's part of my story that I have to include it as much as possible. So when I go to a session now, I still work with my producers. They're like, do you think we could take the banjo out of that part? And I'm like, no, no, the banjo stays. The banjo stays <laughs> at all times. And, and at then meeting DJ, which is the other half of my duo, <clears throat> Mom and the Rebels, um, uh, we we mix this Irish music and gospel type thing, and and he really helped me with that as well because we started making music on the premise that we were going to mix our roots. So straight away we went into I brought the harp and the banjo into the session, and he brought his you know gospel chords and his gospel bass, and we just mixed the two, and it ended up kind of pop. has really like shown me it's possible it's possible we just need to keep go go do what we're doing keep going the route that we're doing going and our time will come you know our, the, the time for this will come and I think it's happening it's happening at the moment so yeah there's been mixed emotions with uh producers and with people about me having the banjo and that's just a new sound right and that's like it, people are kind of like 
fed one sound that is the right one <laughs> in their in their mind or in the media's mind or in the radio's mind and then everything else is a bit of a, a challenge against it and sometimes things get through and sometimes they don't and people have to be the ones to push it so I suppose I am now one of the people who are pushing that line. Mm. I was listening to your Instagram videos this morning with mom and the rebels and it's really mm-hmm. really cool and the banjo does it's not that it's in there as a what's the word I'm looking for is like a, a kind of a kitschy add on or a gimmick. Yeah. Exactly. It really sits into it. Um, there's there's one video that you do. Uh, it's obviously in a studio and everybody's live and mm-hmm. you can see on the band's faces that they're really into it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And this this what I'm saying about like what this this duo has taught me is this works. This totally works. This mixture of in particular anyway, mixture of Irish traditional and gospel music works for so many reasons. And not just because of the sonics, it's because of the culture. When I met DJ, we sat down and we talked about our upbringings in music. We had so many similarities, like crazy similarities with totally different soundscapes, but the same idea, the same communities. He grew up in church, improvising, playing, um, you know, with with all his his community of players learning to play really technical stuff very early on and being um, being given a status in that community because of your ability. Very similar to trad, you know, um, growing up in a community. If you're if you're doing well in the competitions or you're clearly a nice musician, you have a status within that group and you're kind of building yourself around that, your identity, your experience of music, your experience of improvisation. Very, very similar. Um, and uh, they have like a repertoire that they all learn and they all share as well, like we do with tunes. And yeah, we realized that we're very similar in that respect. And then also a lot of the chords and a lot of the progressions and stuff are slight variation, but very similar stuff. You know, when DJ started, DJ plays bass. And when I started playing tunes and I'd be sh- shouting out some chords to him, he'd be, be like, oh, yeah, that's the exact same as this. Or here's a slight variation. He'd show me the variation of it. And I'd be like, wow, that's gorgeous. That works too, you know, so similar similar languages very similar languages just in terms of uh, a proficiency in music theory um in, you know knowing what's going on under the hood of the music uh have you a good level of knowledge of that did the university of limerick you spent what at least four years five years there mm-hmm. did that play a part yeah yeah i have i've i actually teach music theory now myself to in a university here in in um london called i c m p but that's funny that I even teach it because I really didn't enjoy music theory or anything like that growing up. I did my grades on the piano um up until grade eight um only because I thought I had to have them to teach music. Somebody told me that once and I ended up doing all eight grades because I thought I needed it, um, which is kind of hilarious. But I'm glad I did now. You know, I I can see the huge benefit of it now, not only just that I'm teaching it and it's like an added income, but also I um, am able to, I suppose where it comes in most handy for me is I'm able to pick up things very easily, but that's also your ear. Um, I'm able to kind of experiment with uh, when I'm writing something, with kind of taking taking a theoretical idea and, and then going and, and exploring that. And I think it's also been really useful with um, 
working with the band and I do a lot of musical direction and arrangements um, classes as well. And I work with bands over here as their musical directors. And that's where music theory has has come in useful for me. But first and foremost, like yourself, I learned by ear. And I think your ear is even more important to have than your theory. And I'm going to lose my job at ICMP after saying that. <laughs> <laughs> You're such oh, typical. You're such a 100% banjo player. It's like uh, music theory. You <laughs> hate the idea of it. Can I not just play? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I I, I did the basics and, I, um, and I'm glad I have them now, but I definitely didn't enjoy it as a child. I hated being told what to do in, in piano. Like I'd learn, I'd read it once really slowly. Like I'd be like, oh, F, A, C. Oh, every good boy deserves F fruit, like so slow. And I hated it. And then I would just learn the tune, you know, as in I'd have it off. I'd have my right hand and my left hand off. And I'd come into the teacher and she'd put up the piece of music in front of me and I'd pretend I'm looking at it, but I wouldn't even know what bar <laughs> we're on. You know, my hands would just be going. And she'd be like, she'd catch me out. She'd be like, where are we in it? I'd be like, uh, here. <laughs> I'd be playing it. She'd be like, no, no, where in the script or in the score are we right now and I'm like I haven't a clue I haven't a clue so yeah it never it never felt natural on me theory and reading and all of that probably because of just learning trad so early yeah yeah are you the same oh I hated the fact that the uh whatever dead Italian composer decided that uh <laughs> this this piece had to be played slowly or quietly I was like who, yeah. who, who's he to tell me what to do <laughs> maybe I want to play it fast and yeah. loud well, I wanted to. Well, I was a teenager. I wanted to play everything fast and loud. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Tribbles, more tribbles, more tribbles. Yeah. Yeah. What was uh, what was UL like? University of Limerick. What was that like? Um, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I was actually considering to do. Would you believe? Well, architecture is one that I was thinking about doing for a while. Um, and I still think about it now and again. I feel like maybe I was an architect in a different life. I don't know why it appeals to me so much. I was definitely a, quite a, a, like um, a maths head, much more into maths than I was languages or anything. Um, and definitely a very logical type of brain. Anyway, I understand things by logic only. <laughs> um, so I think... Uh, architecture probably interested me because it was kind of a mix of creativity and that whole mathematical systematic type thing that I was also interested in and I also considered medicine I was actually thinking about doing medicine as well and then um you know in the leaving cert you can change your mind <laughs> between the first the first time you put it in and, the, and the, there's a there's a, a bracket a time period where you can change your mind and I changed it I had medicine down and I changed it to music so I went from studying for 500 and 70 points for studying uh, for, I think it was 310 the year I went into UL for music. <laughs> I just had the best last few months of my leaving cert. I just stopped studying. I was like, great. <laughs> I've definitely gone enough to get 310. Um, so yeah, I went down to UL and um, I loved it. It was like, it was just like living in group Kjol practice for four years. You know, you're just hanging out with musicians, playing great music. Um, every single day doing all the like making little bands here and there and, and going to sessions. And it was just like music, 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 music all the time. Now, I know that I'm I uh, my experience is not everyone's. And there's a lot of people who have come out of it saying, oh, it was a waste of time or it was, you know, um, there was people in there that shouldn't have been in there that weren't good enough and all of this kind of thing. But 
I am more of the opinion that any music college, whether it's Berkeley or UL or, you know, some smaller one in inner city, wherever, um, it's what you make out of it. It's what you make of it yourself. And I think I realized pretty early on that it was just it was just four years of my life that I was going to be able to just focus completely on music and not have to worry about anything else. And that's what I did. And I ended up kind of like, you know, I went to every session. I went to every event. I didn't go to every class. Now I'm not going to say that, <laughs> but I did, you know, anything musical or practical based. I was always there and I was always involved and I put myself forward for things. And, um, you know, the, the, when the call came, it, there, a call came into UL actually asking for uh, recommendations for people to um, to audition for Celtic Crossroads. Um, and I had just won the senior harp. Uh, it was the end of first year. I just won the senior harp and they said my name, you know, so like that was a connection there. And I got that audition and that started my touring career. Um, so, you know, not just because I'd, I'd had won the senior, but because I'd just been so present and so so much part of the of the, the college and the course for the whole year. I think that's why my name came up first for them. And so it paid off for me. But I, I have seen people go in there, just learn their tunes every week, do nothing more. And now none of them are working in music, you know. So I think it's it's whatever you make as yourself. Mm. No doubt they have the right, they have the great teachers. They have great music going in there. I've worked in many universities and I can definitely vouch that UL and UCC have some amazing tutors and some serious, serious music happening in there. So if, if that's what people are looking for, then they can find it there. And then the rest of it's up to you, really. You're listening to Inside the Banjoverse in conversation with Lisa Canny. Pivot slightly, Lisa, to, uh, on foot of an article I was reading, actually, just uh, as we were chatting this morning, it's in the BBC about uh, men being uh, privileged over women in traditional Irish music. And, mm. you know, as a woman that's now in the pop world, having lived in the trad world for a long time, mm. and it, maybe it's very easy for me to ask this question because I'm a man. Mm-hmm. Is there a lot of inequality and misogyny mm. and even maybe downright discrimination within traditional Irish music in your experience and in the wider music business in general? Okay, well, let's start with Irish traditional music. Um, and this is, I'm like choosing my words carefully here because I know that my experience is only my experience. And I don't mean to talk for everyone and I don't mean to speak for everyone, but my experience is all I can talk about. And in my experience, I have rarely, if any time, come up against any gender inequality personally in Irish traditional music. I don't think I've ever lost a gig or not gained a gig um, over a man or uh, a male equivalent that was also going for it. If anything, I think... um, I have, um, you know, there has, has been some opportunities that have arisen have risen because they wanted a female singer or they wanted an Irish looking Colleen with my, my my hair. So I think it would be unfair for me to say that um, I have experienced anything else because actually I've I've tended to even 
getting have been given experiences because of being being a woman or having a female voice. So I don't think that it's fair for me to say that I've ever experienced that in the music. I have had some encounters with um the external community and the producers or marketing teams or agents where they might say some sexist things or they might um, allude to something about my gender more so than my talent or my looks more so than my talent. I have definitely experienced that, but I'm very quick to nip those in the butt and I'm very quick to put them people in their place and there's no more said about it then after that. So I think that, of course, there is, you're always going to come up against that, but I think you'd come up against that in any aspect of life because there's just some people like that. So even if this particular man I'm thinking about who had some some of these comments said to me, if, if he was working in a different industry, he would naturally be like that anyway. He was He was going to say these kind of things to whoever was, you know, uh, whatever woman was in his life that he could try and, assert some power over I don't think it was specific to music I think it's specific to the person and in the same way I think it's specific to um, the individual in music that might be experiencing these things you have to stand up for yourself and let them know no 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 no, that's not the reason and that's not cool and don't ever say anything like that again to me and in my experience that has worked quite well for me if I stand up for myself and I um, remind them of my talent then I haven't had any issues um no doubt that there is disparity in radio play and um, uh, age. There's a big thing about age and females in 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 pop music, but I would like to think that that's kind of changing and that there is not as as huge. No, it's not that it's changing. I think what's happening is industries that are not sub industries that are not concerned and uh, not as concerned about uh selling the the sex selling sex basically selling the 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 look or the the sex appeal or the age or the body there isn't there are now sub sub industries that are not concerned with that and if you choose to to not be part of it you can you can succeed it may be a, a different route you may need to like think of how else to go about it and to not um to not i suppose follow suit with things on social media and that but there are ways to to succeed without without doing any of that kind of thing so um i don't think it's i've ever had a huge issue with it my only my big qualm <laughs> with uh irish music and um females in irish traditional music is the representation of them um, and the image that goes along with women in Irish music. Um, and that's why I've I've actually started a company, um, uh, which I started just before lockdown, which is great timing, um, um, called Bird. Um, and then you're getting the, ex- the exclusive on this now, but Bird is uh, has been a, an idea of mine for a couple of years where I wanted to put just a female band, basically an Irish female band together. Um, and something I've been talking about since I was about 20, I suppose, but it's only in the last few years that I've really started to pull it out and make it a thing. So at this point, Bird is um, a, a band and a show and a community. And it's made up of 14 of some of the best young Irish female traditional musicians. Um, and 
the main purpose of this is to give a more realistic representation of the image of of Irish female traditional musicians and singers and dancers. Because in my experience, and I'm so grateful for my experience in like touring, touring the States with all the different shows that I've been in and, you know, on tour with, but every single one of them, first of all, regurgitate the same show, but with different tunes, right? They keep the same blueprint, which is if it doesn't break, if it's not broke, don't fix it. I'm not judging that. But they also stick to the same image. And this image is, um, you know, either the girl or the the female singer is put up there in a languna and she's singing, oh, daddy boy, or in the likes of River Dance, not River Dance, but, you know, Lord of the Dance and, and those more sexualized shows. They're in tiny, tiny little skirts, boobs out, legs out, hair down, red lips on, and they're all like dancing around like Barbie dolls. And there's nothing in between. There's no like really cool beautiful, aesthetically pleasing, trendy, inspiring, empowering visualization of Irish traditional female musicians. And the reality is when I'm in a, you know, a weekend at Willy Week or whatever it is, and we're in a party at 4am in the morning and there's 20 of us playing tunes, there's 10 of us women looking amazing and playing just as good as the lads and right in the middle of it all and have great energy and personality and none of that comes across. So with Bird, my my mission is to uh, present a new show to the market, but also be a band um, that will tour the States and all of that and also do a lot of work in Ireland, collaborating with artists. But we do pure trad, beautiful traditional music, not going to diverge too far off that but represented in a in a much nicer way. So I've I've um I've connected with or collaborated with a couple of Irish stylists and designers and we're going to be dressing the girls in the most stunning um designer wear and forgetting the heels and putting them in ponytails and tracksuits track if they want to, but just, you know, beautiful, beautiful aesthetic and changing that discourse. Because I think that's part of changing the idea of it being kitsch as well, you know. We need to like give it the image that it deserves and the and what it deserves is is so much more than big meringue dresses or shiny little mini skirts. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Yeah, I hope so. So yeah. hopefully we'll, we were supposed to get up and running in June last year and then COVID had other ideas. So uh, hopefully Bird will be hitting the scene at the end of summer. And have you plans in place to to, to actively get that to the market? Yeah, I mean, I'm new to I'm I'm this is the first time I've ever done it myself. I've loads loads of touring experience, but I've no experience with with the back end of it, it, it to this level. I mean, I've I've always tour managed my own stuff um and the other bands that I might work with, I have that kind of tour management experience, but I've never done it to this scale. Now I know how to. Again, I know the blueprint, I know how to do it. Um so I I think <laughs> So I have the um, steps in place, like we have our sh- our show reel recording and and getting all of that together. That was supposed to happen in June. That'll be the first stage. I have secured us a few a few gigs here in Ireland for different things already, just off the idea of it. Um, and then once we have our show reel, I have a few agents in the states that are interested in seeing it, and we'll go with one of those, and then hopefully get the ball rolling and get over there to do some showcases. And but as you know yourself, it'll be at least eighteen months after that before we tour. So. Um, I plan in the meantime to do much more corporate stuff and um, uh, European stuff in the next two years and hopefully be touring America in 2023. Fantastic. 
Uh, with so many strings to your bow in different musical genres, do you worry about the dilution of a message? <laughs> not uh, not yes. until right now, Enda. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> when you put it like that. Um, no, that's a, I'm glad you asked that question because yes, I have. I have that has been another big struggle for me, and and it's been like, and I I, I even considered writing a. a a project last year called Identity Crisis because I just, you know, was hearing it so much from people, from my my first publisher, from uh, management, from some agents um, that I've worked with. You know, they 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 all like to say, "Oh, you do you 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 have so much in your show, and there's so many different um, genres to it, and maybe you should just pick the one that feels most natural and stay with that." You know, and I go, "But none of them feel most nat. That is me. Every one of those songs I wrote, every one of those." tracks I made you know that's all me so how do how am I supposed to pick one because I don't even know what it's going to be until I start you know writing it so I really struggled with that for a long time and I was listening to them all and going oh yeah no I understand because it would have to go in a playlist it would have to sit into this and if it was in a record shop it would have to go under this kind of thing but none of that really matters anymore you don't have to sit into a genre yes you mightn't be able to apply to a certain playlist but if that's the only thing that's going to come up against me, then I'm just going to do what I feel natural. And I made the decision only a couple of months ago. I made the decision not to care about that anymore. And even since I've made that decision, I'm so much happier with the music that I'm writing and what I have planned to release. And I think we are often so, especially in, in, in the commercial music world, everybody is so unsure of what they're doing. <laughs> Nobody really knows what they're doing and they have random success here or they work really hard and they have success here and then they think they know everything. And actually, nobody really knows. Nobody really knows what's going to connect with people. Nobody really knows what's going to, you know, fly or what isn't to a certain extent. And and we have all of these people giving their opinions on what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And And for so long, I really listened to all of those. And maybe it's just me getting old and ignorant, but I've just, <laughs> I've just decided that, of course, they can't understand what I'm doing because they haven't lived my life. They haven't been, you know, immersed in Irish social music for most of my upbringing, 20 years, and then been really influenced by hip hop and pop. And and they can't play the harp like I can and they can't play the banjo like I can. So, no, they don't experience, they don't understand it. And that's OK. It's my job now to make them understand. So I have stopped caring about fitting into a genre to the point where I'm actually about to release an EP with two heavily produced like electro pop folk tunes um, alongside a ballad. And that's the three songs. And I'm just going to own it. That's they're They're the parts of me. They're all the parts of me. So if you like one side of it, great. Listen to those songs. <laughs> if you only like the ballad one, brilliant. Listen to that. If you get the both of them, excellent, because that's what I'm going to do. So follow me for more kind of thing, you know, but I have to just have to just be committed to what I do. And that's what I've chosen now. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, 
you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, Rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Um, as an equally driven person, this is a good question that I'm excited to hear you answer. What do you do for fun? <laughs> Uh, see how nervous that has made me <laughs> that's why i asked it <laughs> that's why i asked um yeah i mean i think i could already i can already tell why you're interested in this i don't think i switch off from from work or work or music mode ever because it's kind of all one right it's it is your life it is your fun it is your it is your passion and it is how you make money too. So it's this weird world where we don't, we don't shut off at six o'clock, you know, there isn't a nine to five and then we go, all right, now I focus on other parts of my life. You know, it's constant. I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with my projects. You know, I'm obsessed with them. I'm constantly thinking about them. Um, I have Pinterest boards galore for like, even just like bird clothing, bird photo shoot ideas, bird, you know, makeup ideas. Least Candy Project clothing ideas, like just constantly. So when I have time, I might do that. Or if I have some uh, free time, I'll, I'll most likely go to record something or practice my production skills. I'm trying to get to a point where I can produce my own stuff. Um, or I am obsessed with, and going back to the architecture thing, I'm obsessed with properties. <laughs> I'm obsessed with houses and buildings and I would spend half an hour every day, like looking at beautiful houses and <laughs> making short lists on Zoopla of like the dream house between one million and three million, between three million and six million, you know, like total dreams, like madness. But um, that kind of thing, it's any of my downtime or my fun time is still very much based on like goals and achievement and where I want to be and I really enjoy it I, you know some people will go that's mad like does it not depress you it does the exact opposite I'm like I have something in my head a vision of where I want to be and and that kind of excites me it just gives me a little bit of of fire in my belly so for fun that's it I, I don't really I don't go out much I actually don't like well obviously no one goes out at the moment but I don't go out much in London. If I'm gigging, I'll I'll definitely stay out and have a few, a few, she says, have a load, <laughs> a load of pints with my band. And I love hanging out with, with the band. And when I go home to Ireland, I'll go and, and meet up with uh, my, my gang of friends and we'll go mad, you know, playing tunes for a weekend somewhere or go off to an island. But other than that, any downtime is spent doing music. What about you? Well, I haven't, abs- I have no idea. I'm asking people. <laughs> yeah i know it's terrible because i sometimes you get asked like you know what are your other hobbies and what um <laughs> i also like um singing and music you know and they're like mm, it's kind of the same thing yeah, yeah i, I love i love fishing but i i'm not allowed traveling oh, at yeah. the moment so but hopefully that'll yeah. change as the summer progresses yeah yeah i do like i do actually really like teaching as well um and I, I I've always kept on at least a day of teaching um whenever I can because and I don't know whether I like the actual teaching side of it or whether I like the fact that I can't obsess over my own projects for a day <laughs> a week you know it takes me out of that space where I have to think about something else and it, and it's nearly a little bit therapeutic for me it's like a time off 
It's a time off for my own things and for my own mad brain that is constantly at me. Um, so I would suppose that that is nearly like a hobby to me where I can just take away, take away some of the, the, the traffic in my brain that's that's constantly going around for ideas and that myself and, and focus on something else. But maybe I need a new hobby. What do you think I should do? Give me a new hobby. I'm not into fishing. It's too slow. I don't think it'd be great fishing in London anyway. No, no, no. I, med- I'll, I'll have you, a think. Do, do, do you meditate? Do you do anything to <gasps> quieten the mind? I try to. I try to. And I go through phases where I'm great on headspace, um, you know, and I'll, <laughs> I'll do a couple of days and I'll be like, I feel amazing. I should do this every day. And then I stop doing it. It's much like the gym. It's much like me in the gym, you know. Um, I know I should meditate. I really struggle to. And that's probably even more reason that I should. But I really do. I really do struggle with quietening my mind. I also have tinnitus, which um, is is, I think it's about a year old now. So I'm still kind of coming to terms with that. And that has been, you know, a little bit of an added obstacle now with meditation. Um, I am definitely in a space where I want to meditate. Um, I just haven't found how to do it right yet. What about you? Um, the best thing I learned about meditation is that there's no right way to do it. Okay. And but but for the, the likes of you and I, you know, we we want to be Buddha immediately, and if we haven't achieved enlightenment <laughs> yeah. by the third session, it's a failure. <laughs> Move on to the next thing, you know. <laughs> so where is my inner peace? Where is my inner peace? <laughs> I've been doing this for a week. God damn it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I flitted yeah. around from a whole bunch of different things, but I learned <laughs> transcendental meditation, but that was only because there was a bunch of millionaires that were doing it. And I was like, if I do this, I'll be a millionaire. So I was doing it for all the wrong reasons, of course. Uh, I don't know. I'd be, that'd be the type of thing that get me into it too. <laughs> if there was a shiny dollar at the end of it, <laughs> like, oh, I could do this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm definitely, I'm definitely, and I practice, I don't practice what I preach because I tell students and, and, you know, artists that I work with, I'm always telling them to meditate and to take care of themselves. And here's Biddy over here, not knowing how to do it herself at all. So, yeah, I've definitely found that the longer I've gone on in the world, the mm. more the more I, I need to try to find the balance because the longer the, you go on in the world. Yeah. What, the, the, the older you get. The ability to rejuvenate uh, gets a little bit longer. Are a little bit slower if you if you follow me. So I could like work myself into burnout in my twenties mm-hmm. and then take mm-hmm. two days off and I'd be fine. Whereas mm-hmm. I can work to burnout now and suddenly mm-hmm. it takes me three weeks. And uh, mm. so I, I much need to, like hangovers. I haven't had one of those in a very very long time. But yes, oh, indeed. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hang. Yeah, that's that's the entering into your late twenties onwards and their three day events. But yeah, no, I I hear what you're saying, and I also I don't know if you're the same. I um I don't have the same energy either to like to power through you know a twelve hour session and and still come out with really good stuff. I'm 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 in more need of taking time off now than I ever was before. I need a few days here and there, every couple of months, just to go okay. Let's chill out for a while, you know. Yeah. And then I I I like I don't know. You can take take this out if you don't want to put it in, but like I. Um, will like enjoy having a little smoke in the evening to be able to 
chill myself. You probably want to take this out. <laughs> <laughs> we neither condone or uh, condemn anything <laughs> on this podcast. But I, 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 um, I was always kind of curious as to like, why do I? Because I'm not an addict. I'm not. I'm not a, an addictive personality in anything, in any kind of. Um, or I don't need anything. I never need anything. So I'm like, why do I enjoy it? And I've realized it's because it slows me down. It totally just makes me go, okay, the rest of the evening is just for chilling now, you know? Um, so that's kind of my, my not as healthy version of meditation at the moment. So I, if I could uh, swap one out for the other, I think it would be very useful. You're listening to Inside the Banjoverse in conversation with Lisa Canny. Well, something that I found, uh, and and I am completely addicted to, like smartphones, and yeah, as am I, and the scrolling is that I can remember if you can remember back that far when there weren't smartphones. And mm. you seem to have more uh, vacuous space and time in the day. And often I would get my greatest ideas if I was sitting in a sauna for a half an hour. Or mm-hmm. sitting, I used to go to the, the hot tub in the local hotel here and sit outside um, and stay in there for 45 minutes, just doing nothing. And then I would bubble up with all of these great ideas. And I do find that uh, with the with the pace of life, because now I have a son and just with everything that you can occupy your mind with, I often mm-hmm. come to the end of the day and I was like, I literally haven't sat for four minutes to allow ideas to come up, to allow creativity Mm. to come up. Mm. Yeah. And I've, I've noticed that as well this year with COVID that I I don't know how, how you dealt with it at the very beginning, but my, my immediate kind of reaction to everything was canceled. You know, I I had a a Chinese tour that was, that was canceled pretty early on. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And, and an American, uh, German uh, gigs in the Olympia, all of these like things I was so looking forward to, jazz cafe, everything cancelled. And my immediate was, it's fine, absolutely fine. I'm going to take the time. I'm going to learn. I'm going to get do this. I'm going to get fit. And I've got to, you know, write an album and <clears throat> went into work mode immediately. And then there was, I don't know, a couple of months into it where it was just like, okay, now what do I do now? Where do we go now? What happens now? I was very much confronted with like me. Who am I without music? Who, what do I do without music? What do I focus on? What can I even give to people? What have I got for them? You know, and that was that was definitely that was definitely a, a challenge. But I did find that I once I worked through that that I was much clearer on what I wanted to do and I had more ideas and I was more, cre- I'm more creative at the moment in the last couple of months than I've been in years. And, and not even that I'm more creative. I'm so much more focused on my creative outlets. I'm so much more clear on what I want to do with them. And because I'm more clear, I've kind of shaved off all of the extra padding and all the extra noise that, that, that uh, gets in my way and when I hear or see something or have an idea for something it's a good idea and it's very clear on what, on how I do it you know it's it's like it's all kind of just compressed a little bit more and I think it's because I had that time off I think it's because I had that time to sit with myself and um, and I hope I keep that I hope that stays with me and that I don't lose it again once we start just getting back into the rat race hmm. so I, I, I hear what you're saying I'm still not able to do it daily 
I would love to be able to do it daily. Um, but I have witnessed the advantage of some time, downtime, off time, mm. quiet time. And I, I like it. My, I, I seem to get a lot of my ideas when I'm doing some light activity. So if I'm walking or in the shower or driving, when I when I used to drive, I don't drive over in London, but driving at home, I'd have so many ideas. <laughs> Just have the phone, the vo- voice memo out, you know, and or on the train. I do it on the train here in London. People are looking at me queer, left, right and centre. I'd be singing into my phone and <laughs> and like giving like production ideas and then the, and then forward to the floor. Dum, dum, dum. And then the dum. Dumb, dumb. And then the harp comes in, and then the banjo, you know, <laughs> orchestrating a whole track on the train. And everyone's like, this bitch is crazy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, definitely when you're not thinking about it, you get your best ideas. It's, again, it's like you get out of your own way, right? You yeah. get out of your own way and you just jump onto that little stream of inspiration or flow or whatever you want to call it. And uh yeah, I suppose it's nice to talk about this because I'm I'm realizing that I've been on it now for a couple of months and I'm really happy about that because I I was when I'm not I'm quite depressed. When I'm not on it, I'm 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 not myself. I'm not happy with myself when I'm not creating or um making something that I'm proud of, which is, you know, a lovely thing but also ridiculous to think that your output or your creativity or your success and your creativity could determine your happiness. But that's definitely the case for me. Mm. Well, that's a very big statement, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who knew this was going to be a therapy session as well? <laughs> it's free too. I don't <laughs> charge for this to, at I all. Well, I'm going to have to start charging. You're going to have to start charging. <laughs> Do you get like that though? Do you notice the correlation between having, well, you're different now. You have a family and, and you know, you have more perspective on what's important, but <laughs> <laughs> what? you know, but <laughs> you think so. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I assume so. I have no idea. But yeah, do you ever did you ever notice that like you're if you're happy with music, you're happy with your whole life? Um, I don't know if I've ever achieved. I'm happy with my whole life. You see, I worked for uh, the government. That sounds like I was in the FBI or something. I worked for the yeah. health department Ooh. for for 16 years and I did music okay. on the side. Uh, so yes. it was always a hobby that I could then enjoy it because it wasn't this really drudgery day job kind of thing. And then when it became successful enough to give up the day job and to start into the music as a full time career, there was a major, major crisis that happened because it was like, oh, my God, this thing on the side is now my full time gig. And what if this fails? You know. Mm. And so it's for me, it's learning to deal with that fear of failing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that has taken a period of time. Mm-hmm. And do you know what? What I've learned from this COVID time is that, A, I don't need that much to live on or I, as much as I don't need as much what I thought Gosh. I needed. Yeah. Uh, I don't need as much in my life. So mm-hmm. uh, we, we, we came off tour and we went into absolute overdrive online. And then burnt out in about four months. And since then, we've just tailed off uh, what we're doing on a constant basis. And so I found more balance Mm. internally with that. But coming to terms for me, and I think what I learned from this was that if there was no more music career, if there was no more touring, I'll be okay. Mm. I will have to find some creative outlet. I know that. And I'm a project oriented person. So Mm -hmm. I will have to find things to do. But mm. I would be okay. 
Mm. It wouldn't be my choice, but I would be mm. okay. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you. And I, and I think another part of that or in a very similar vein, what I've learned from COVID as well is if I can't make money from making music anymore, I can still make music. <laughs> and as long as I am making music and creating music that I'm proud of and that I love, then I'm happy. Um, and that has been a great lesson for me too, that I think I've been sucked into the commercial side of, of my identity, which is my music, too much. And COVID has kind of um, uh, reminded me that if all shit hits the fan and there are no more gigs and there are no more ways of of making making money out of it that you still actually have the thing that you started off doing anyway you still have the ability to just make music and sit down and play music for an hour and and feel really happy and really good after it and really fulfilled on it so yeah it's been it's been an interesting year isn't it Mm. it's funny to talk about it now and kind of think about it all and remember when it first happened I was so consumed with the idea of coming out the other end with something coming out the other end of it with something to show you know and I wanted to be one of those artists that came out with something to show with something what did you do well I did this and I did this and look at what I got out of this and you know and uh and I eventually just kind of let go of that and then it just happened naturally I'm really happy with all I've done in this year now but it just happened naturally and again that's like getting out of your own way and just writing and just making and just going back to why you ever started in the beginning you know, I wasn't thinking about making money in music when I was <laughs> five years of old, five years of age, tears popping out my eyes and blood in my fingers and um, getting up when I got the harp. I became so obsessed with the harp. Mom said I'd be playing it before school. I get up early in the morning. Jesus, I wouldn't even get up early now for breakfast. You know what I mean? I just <laughs> I don't know where that that love came from. I just absolutely loved it. So. I'll always have that. It's really nice to think that, isn't it? We always have that. No one can take that away from us. No one's ever going to take our ability or our talent away from us. Yeah. So that's been quite quite a nice lesson to be reminded of, not learned, but reminded of during COVID. Well, that feels like a lovely note to wrap it up on, Lisa. And uh, I'm excited to see what what comes for you across all of the projects that you have going on. And where can people uh, stay in touch with everything that you're doing? I'm probably most active on Instagram and that's just at my, at, well, on my own name, at Lisa Canny, C-N-N-Y, um, and same on Facebook. And if you want to read my outdated bio, you can go to my website, <laughs> <laughs> see all of the, all of the outdated facts that uh, Inda has in front of him there. You've reminded me, I'm going to go in, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. But this is a it's a constant job. You can't update these things. It's oh. like press photos. You take them, put them out, they're old, get a new one. Yeah. And I never save them in the right place either on my laptop. So I'm constantly going up to search Lisa photos, promo photos. I'm like, where do I put them? Where are they? And you're going into emails, you're re-downloading your own photos. It's a disaster. If anyone is listening who wants to be my PA, it's a great job. There's a lot of work involved. There's no money, of course, but I would love some applicants. Send it to lisakenny.com. I guarantee you're going to get a couple of offers. <laughs> That'll be great. Thank you for listening. If you loved this episode, 
please head over to our website, webanjo3.com, to subscribe, rate, and do leave us a review. It makes a huge difference. See you next time inside the banjo. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.